Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. So Gina, it's another day, another morrow, as the children say. This is a poem I'm working on. And we have seen another movie. Ticked off another old pellicula americana. And that movie was last night's screening. It was called uh, Empire of Light. Empire of Light. I kicked my water <laughs> bottle for emphasis of the Empire <laughs> of Light. Not to be confused with 1-800-EMPIRE. What was that carpet commercial? The Empire? Yeah. That one local yeah, San Fernando Valley? company. What is it? 187? Uh, no. <laughs> Empire today yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i knew that part but i don't think that's a phone it's number like that's not a full phone 800 number 800-588-2300 that's like that. what it is <laughs> i'm not okay. sure the exact so number. here let me start off really easy that commercial was better than the film i so, agree yeah so if you want to see a great movie about empires save yourself a couple hours watch that commercial now i am jet <laughs> perfect i've tried to introduce myself a number of times and because i'm used to my old show or the current show, I guess, my podcast with 134 episodes, Psychotherapy. I'm introducing myself in a different way. So we were talking about our reviewing process. Right. And, and I'm Gina, by the way. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> and Jesus is here with us at all times in our hearts and minds. That's right. You are Gina and I am Jet, correct? I have it yes. written down behind you on a whiteboard. <laughs> wow. We are talking about the process of what this show will be and how I want to take emphasis off the idea of review. Movies have so many moving parts and I have a special insight and so does Gina into film and television. I have over a thousand days on set and Gina has been in the Screen Actors Guild for seven or eight years. years. Yeah. yeah, for a while though. And had a lot of days on set. You were even in, we didn't mention the last one, but you were in La La Land. Yeah, which I had forgotten. Which Damien Chazelle. <laughs> directed, yeah. Yeah, is that his name? You got it right. I just can't get over the fact you're, that a man's name is Chazelle. Yeah, but you've always been pretty poor at remembering yeah. titles and names. Yeah. Uh, with uh, with your reading as well, like you'll read something and you you'll remember all of the pertinent information, and then you'll be yeah. like, "What was the name of that book? I've read. What books. was the name of the writer? Yeah, it's true. I've read books multiple times, and I have no idea what the cover is. Yeah, but I guess it doesn't really matter. You know what else? I'm not. I've never been recommended a book. Yeah. So I find the books through my own research, and then once I listen to a certain amount of it on Audible, I'm like, okay, this is going to work for me or not. Mm -hmm. It slips out of my mind. Yeah. So I want to share with you folks kind of the insight that I have, and Gina will do the same, of the filmmaking process. And I think our greatest value is that we're doing that right now. Gina's a working actor. I'm currently editing two movies that will be out early next year, so 2023. This is my day in, day out. This is Gina's day in, day out. So when we talk about movies, to just review it would be silly. It's also an art. I, I should just cut to the chase on this. Avatar just passed a billion dollars. Which we had discussed before its release, how it was going to be able to recoup the amount of money that it costs or get into profitability. I was obsessed. Going to bed, I was thinking, what am I missing? Because... Before the movie came out, this is when my speculation went in. This review is going to be of Empire of Light, but I want to talk about James Cameron and Avatar. Clearly, James Cameron knows audiences, 
even though he's been away from the business for 13 years and in production on this film only that's all he's doing for five years at manhattan beach studios where we've actually worked before oh, i didn't know that yeah huh. yeah that's where it was and uh, that's where I saw the Mandalorian. So I saw those stormtroopers yeah. and all that stuff. It was really cool. We were working together on that. That's right. And so I kept thinking, how will James Cameron do this? If anyone can, he will. And everyone in hindsight is saying, oh, of course he did, blah, blah, blah. We knew he did a billion dollars, but no one knew that. Since COVID, the only thing to do those kind of numbers was Maverick. And that was an yeah. anomaly. This is a movie that has been highly anticipated, unlike Avatar, mm -hmm. which has not been highly anticipated. It's 13 yeah. years later. And no one talks about Avatar 1. The weird thing is, is this going to be something that only applies to franchises? Yeah, I mean, these both came out with a marketing engine, Top Gun and Avatar 2, the uh, Shape of Waters. The, way, that's the way of Water. No, I think it's, what was that? What was that? Shape, well, shape of, of Water was, was that another one about? movie, and so I confused that as that well. That was about having sex with fish. Yes. If I'm, okay. <laughs> Which, you know, I don't know, uh, it's Guillermo, not my cup of tea. Guillermo but. del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. He didn't have sex with fish. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we don't know. But like, I don't think it was autobiographical. Let's not speculate. My point is that James Cameron's film that's been quote-unquote anticipated, which it hasn't. No one talks about Avatar. Now it has done a billion dollars. That's billion with a Z. And it's been out a couple weeks now? Even if it was yeah. out for two months, it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, it's absolutely How it's done that is so far beyond my understanding that I have to admit, and this is a part of who I am, that I don't know film the way audience goers enjoy it to the extent I must think I do. Because I would have guessed that this would have been not a flop. I mean, he's James Cameron. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't figure in a million years that young people would see this. The movie was too long ago. It's not like kids are watching Avatar over and over again, like some kind of Disney movie. Yeah. So I could not figure out how it made money. And here's the other part that is really tough. And I've been talking to people on Facebook about this. And they keep saying it was visually stunning, which is the word that everyone uses because they saw that in a review. But almost all of them say the story wasn't good. Yeah. And the characters weren't very yeah. good. But everyone saw it. And a helicopter's going by, guys, so. That's James Cameron. I know he has helicopters. He's going to snipe me. <laughs> He's painted himself blue. He's gone mad. It's visually stunning. Even though they don't like it, they tell me I should see it for myself. Which is like, this is a terrible sandwich. Have a bite. Well, so are they saying you have to see it in theaters? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because if it's visually stimulating, or vis sorry, right, visually right. stunning, then that's the only way to see it. It's so strange. I can't figure it out. Yeah. Top Gun breaking all the records makes perfect movie sense to me. Uh -huh. Avatar... I, I don't get it. So my friends that make movies say, well, of course, after the movie's made the success. Well, you have to understand, James Cameron understands the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell. He gets how to make movies. And that's like, so does everyone else or most people who went to film school. That shouldn't give him a inside kind of clairvoyant knowledge of what audiences are going to see. Yeah, that is accessible. And it's a it's a formula that works. It shouldn't weaken the story. <laughs> that's the thing too, you know, is that, yeah, there is. That's kind of contradictory. Well, that's the thing too, is that people are saying the weakest part is the story and that it's visually stunning. One of the comments I made to someone who is obviously doesn't know who I am or is a friend of a friend, I don't know. They said, well, you know, Jet, there's categories at the Oscars for cinematography, sound, blah, blah, blah. So it can have different components. And what I said to them is, 
I think I said I'm aware of this uh, separation of departments. I almost went off and been like, you idiot, <laughs> shut up. I don't tell you how to do your job. Ouch. Yeah, I know. It must suck to be them. <laughs> I said, I know that. And a good movie usually has enough of a harmony between those departments where you leave, as I said in the first episode, and you feel something that you hadn't prior to the film. Or if the story is compelling, it's still a good movie. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's said about George Lucas, even though I think we're probably not too fair with him, he wrote an incredible story with Amazing Worlds and he may not have written the best characters or dialogue. That is just to say that look at how well that did. And it's lightning in a bottle, but still there's plenty of examples of story being so good that the film is good. That is not the case with this movie. From what I understand, Avatar. Yeah, we haven't seen it. But I can't review it. Yeah. All of that, which I've wasted all of your time now, your precious, precious time on your way to work, to say that going forward, this kind of is a perfect serendipitous moment where I really have to look at my sensibilities as a filmmaker now and what they were 10 years ago, and that what I would have seen in movies 10 years ago is not what I see in movies now. So I must withhold some of my judgment. Yeah. Well, I was thinking also with the whole uh, James Cameron discussion and <laughs> you worrying about <laughs> I really was. I'm obsessed with it. I kept I telling you I couldn't get it out of my head. But I was thinking how it actually was a lot earlier than just prior to the release of, course, of the movie. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. When, whenever uh, there was something that came up since COVID that it was still being yeah. made, you were like, what is he going to do? Like, theaters are closed. Right. And this is obviously such a big theatrical thing. Yeah. And so since then, you had this kind of obsession in your head about have. understanding how it's all going to work out. James Cameron's movies will always be an anomaly because they're James Cameron movies. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't make movies, then he makes a movie, and everyone sees it. Yeah. I could guess. We've listened to interviews of his, documentaries, behind the scenes. He's got some special abilities and he understands people, but still, it doesn't make sense. Plenty of people are like that and don't have that kind of success. This show will be about filmmaking as we're making movies. It'll be about Gina going out and being an actress where we meet because she's been in my films. That'll be a topic of conversation as much as our analysis of film, which is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. You'll probably go into some of the tech stuff as well. Sure, I think, absolutely. Absolutely. Lenses. Yeah. Not to bore you to tears. Well, no, that stuff is interesting to some people. And also just, I think we end up having a lot of stories about when we're producing things, things that go wrong, you know, things that go right. Things you could never guess at. Yeah. Like one day we'll cover how I had to get my movie that was accepted to film festivals, how I had to submit it to the film festival to play on a movie theater projector. And if you're a person who makes independent films and you've never had that kind of recognition, you don't know how to do this. So this is all the insights track you'll learn from the show. Right back to Empire of Light. Not the carpet company. No. The movie. I'm going to have Gina read the description of Empire of Light, and then we will go into what we uh, saw in it. Go ahead, please. Okay. Looking on IMDb, it says, A drama about the power of human connection during turbulent times set in an English coastal town in the early 1980s. That is the description. We received this as a screener. Uh, oh gosh, you know, you make me so nervous because you're staring at me. And well, I'm I was saying, thinking, uh, I, was thinking um, I can watch your screeners because I'm in the guild, but I can't vote on them. Right. Well, 
I'm in the Lollipop Guild. Well, You're in the Screen Actors Guild. We're both in the guilds and can vote. Right. But I'm on the nominating committee this year. Let's make it clear that when you say I scare you, I'm not going <laughs> to whack you. Ross. No, no. Wrong! I'm... Wrong! <laughs> not good review! Okay, okay. Looking at the screener, I was kind of excited to see this because it's... It's got some heavy hitters. Yeah, so it's Sam Mendes, that is the writer-director, and then the cinematographer is Roger Deakins, who is the most lauded successful what do you say things like lauded for what is that supposed to mean to people i don't know so explain what lauded means it's like applauded praised i have literally never heard you say Awarded. that word however long we've been friends which will never be disclosed <laughs> i've never heard you say lauded ever okay why do you get so intelligent when you're talking on them mics i think it's <laughs> on them mics huh <laughs> Talking into cone, you get smart. You know, I, think, I don't. I think it's like my it's my high school right flash card, vocabulary flashcards have been stored in my brain for years, yeah. my, lying dormant, and just I get that access when my, we're talking. My high school was rubbernecking over the shoulder of people <laughs> who had flashcards, because I aren't not gonna get good grades. Sam Mendes, Roger Deakins, and they worked together before. Roger Deakins is the most famous cinematographer. Yes. He's done Blade Runner 2049. He did The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. You probably haven't seen it. Some of the best cinematography, which just literally means this person is controlling where the cameras go. The director will suggest the shot. The relationship in which the director and the cinematographer exists varies per film, but you could tell Roger Deakins from other cinematographers because he has such signature quality. He's in his 70s and he's the most recognized, celebrated Prost cinematographer of he's our lifetime. He's crossed over in a whole bunch of different styles. He's worked with the Coen uh, brothers right, the Coen on brothers, all their projects. We were just watching one of theirs. Hail Caesar. Yeah. yeah. Which was funny too because we were watching Hail Caesar because on, in the last episode we were reviewing Babylon and Hail Caesar was another one of those old Hollywood movies that, uh, that Babylon made us want to We have another... Episode where we babble on yes. uh, that came before this, and uh, it's on Babylon, and it's uh, what did you just say? Toasted, what? Lauded, yeah, it's lauded too, and it's bonafide. <laughs> okay, whatever. Roger Deakins and Sam Mendes have worked together on Skyfall, which was that was beautiful. Sam Mendes. Yeah, I believe so. I think you're right. Let me go check. He wasn't the writer, but he was the director. Yeah, Skyfall. Yeah. Skyfall. If you want to mm -hmm. see a great example, and you've probably seen the movie, but Roger Deakins did that, and, and oh my God. And the last movie they worked on together was 1917, which was amazing. That was a long time ago. That was in... It's a joke about 1917. Oh, God. My God. Come <laughs> on, people. I, yeah. Way to go, Jet. Another some, one. I, need some I get some lots on that one. <laughs> 1917, we really liked Skyfall, obviously. And 19, they had similarities in the, the fire elements that were used. The, they did really just gorgeous 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 the so, reason that's worth mentioning is that roger deakins the cinematographer likes to use as much natural light as he can and having a fire on set to light a set is pretty damn unique because that is a big logistical situation with art directors with stunts all these yeah. actors but huge, roger deakins can do that if you think about the building fire scene in 1917 or if you think of any scene in skyfall my god that part where they're going over to that what was it, Japanese venue? And he's in the boat in Skyfall, and it's just pushing in. It's where they have, like, the kimono dragons, and James Bond is going in that scene. K Komodo dragons. Kimono dragons. Kimono. I am talking about dragons that wear a unique and special dress. Yeah, it was, it was a casino, right? Wasn't it? 
some gambling. Yes, I believe that's yeah. correct. But I'm talking about the part where they, he comes in on the little boat in the water and the push on that pure Roger Deakins. He's incredible. Oh, and the composer, of course, is Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor. So, like Jet said, heavy hitters in multiple categories. So many reasons to be good. Just like the last one. Yeah. The last movie. Okay. Let me tell you what's right about this movie. It ended. <laughs> There's a loss of time in my life that was something I could touch and feel and understand until this void of this film came and <laughs> sucked it right out of me. I said I wasn't going to be mean and I wasn't going to be judgy. So there it is. Oh, just. Uh, there's other movies that are harder to watch, like aggressively hard right, to right, watch. Right, 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 right. This was just not too much happened. There was a romance of an old movie theater. There yeah. was one moment in the movie where the young protagonist in so his England. His name is. Yeah, get it to Michael name. Ward. He was great. He was he great. He was wonderful. Beautiful guy, mm -hmm. incredible skin. That doesn't matter. But if you're going to look at someone for a long time, you better have great it skin. Helps. Yeah, in movies. I mean, I'm not trying to say bad skinned people don't belong in movies. That's definitely, don't put that on me. But this guy was very handsome. I'd never seen him in anything, so worth noting. Apparently, at this time period, which is vaguely early 80s, or 81. Yeah. Knowing nothing as we were going into this other than the cover of the DVD we got, we didn't know that it was a period piece. And then pretty quickly we were able to guess that it was the 80s based on yeah, the hair of the one hair, of the girls. And then one, eventually one the they say, well, so long 1980 or something yeah, like I that think, on New Year's. Uh, Colin Firth, who yeah. played the, the manager of this old movie theater. It was <laughs> so anyway, this dude, you said his name, who is great. He is the star and so is the lady. Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman, who's amazing. But she plays a bipolar kind of lady so who... They said it to... Uh, schizophrenic. Yeah, but they, they said schizophrenic in 1980, which I, right. we think, I think we have... I don't even think they call it bipolar anymore. There's a different term for that. But she has... And they don't call it multiple personality. I know there's all different yeah, titles but for that. Part of but the she's a person line, who has manic episodes. Part of the storyline is that she... And it's not spoiling anything. It's pretty early on seeing a... A psychiatrist, psychiatrist who's person, evaluating yeah. her Psych and he asks oh how's the lithium uh so that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so you, yeah. you know you have a you have Boom, a, right a, there you have a loose idea of of what's going on that with, is with when her i mentally. started saying oh my god yeah uh -huh. so it's about a person who has real mental health issues and then michael ward his struggle is he's a young dude who comes in and works at this theater this movie theater they all work at this old beautiful movie theater so the reason that movie is titled Empire of Light is yes. because it is the Empire Theater. So there Which you go. Which later sells carpets. At this moment in England, there is some horrible racial relations going on. There's a, an uprising, I guess, Nazi... Neo-Nazi skinheads. Yeah, skinheads. Yeah. And so this character was being harassed in terrible ways during the film. So that was his struggle. And he comes into this friendship with this much older woman who is the one who has the multiple personalities. If that hasn't gotten you hooked yet, <laughs> horrible racial violence in a person with multiple personality disorder. I never felt that any of these big dramatic scenes added to the film. Yeah, so there were a few themes in it. There was mental health dealing with racism right. and persecution. Then there was this kind of love of cinema. And that was barely in it, which yeah. was the hardest part. Yeah. The thing is that none of the themes were really delved into with any depth. 
it was all just kind of this light storyline. Maybe that's what they meant by Empire of Light, is that it was light on story. Yeah. And there was the whole, th the whole thing with the pigeon. Right. Did you get my joke? Instead of light, yes, like, I, I got like it. the I got it. spectrum of I got it. radiated, yeah, <laughs> the sun. I was thinking about the biggest scenes were all so uncomfortable. The sandcastle scene, the speech in the theater. Yeah. So at the end of Act 1 and the end of Act 2, it's like these seminal scenes are just yeah. awful. You know what the, the other thing is? I don't mean awful like they were technically bad. I mean no. they were just Except very uncomfortable. Except for that one part. Yes. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. So, the worst fight choreography I've ever seen in my life. Legs being pulled, hands being pulled. I mean like worse than high school theater. Draw yeah. 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 Worse than fight choreography yeah, for that. It was so unconvincing. That scene we did together last year, where yeah. we, where you beat me up, right? That was a hundred times better, yes. and that was done by a guy who'd never done it before. Yeah. Really, it it was a hundred times better. It was surprisingly bad, and it's tough too because the whole point of that being shown in the scene is to show the brutality of this point in time. Right, there's like a mob going by, some yeah. kind of white supremacy parade. Mm -hmm. When they're in the theater, they lock the doors, then these white supremacists come Start knocking on the door to breaking, try and... Break the glass, come in, and yeah, there's this, this fight that ensues. Skinhead's traditionally racist. The beating up of this guy... Was is insane! So, yeah, is so distractingly fake. It was like that it, SNL, it but makes worse. You, it makes you realize you're watching something that is not real, and so that keeps you from empathizing further with the character. And that could have been, and the reason I said SNL is I'm saying that even in sketch comedy, which I have done, they commit better to stage combat. This was just so jarring in its poor quality. Yeah. And I don't know how that fell apart. Again, we could look at COVID. I don't know the struggles that production had during this very unique time. Yeah. But here's the problem with that scene. Very important. I thought it would have been like slow motion, you know? I mean, there's so many movies that have given you a visceral feeling right. of racial injustice so that you through can, the you violence. you can see the pain on the, the faces of the characters who are witnessing this, not the person who's actually you know, being harmed. I just finished Quentin Tarantino's newest book. He talks about the art, basically, of violence in film. I didn't really understand where it was and why it was, but now I get it. Its shock value often is to, first off, pull you into the film and really give you a human empathetic moment yes. to immerse yourself in this story. And it does in Quentin Tarantino's films. Right. <laughs> this pulled us out. Yes. And that's why I said this is going to be more of a synopsis or technical review or review of the art of filmmaking not this movie's good this movie's bad there are bad parts and good parts there i mean there are good parts of bad movies and bad parts of good movies and everywhere in between so going back to what you were talking about before that little uh <laughs> that little trip we took to, into that uh stage combat thing so you were talking about those moments that were really uncomfortable yes and I think that a lot of that was because the main character who's dealing with these mental issues, they don't do a good job with making her likable. Yeah. At best, she's respected for her tenure at her work and she's nice enough. Yeah. And there's one scene where a guy says she used to have a lot more personality before the lithium. Right. But she also had fits that she'd yeah. have to go home for. So my guess is it's kind of like in a situation, I'm sober for a long time, where someone would be friends with someone at one point where they were a drinker, and sometimes they're the most fun person in the world. Friends had this with Fun Bobby, who yeah. stopped drinking, then he's not fun anymore. Mm -hmm. 
So she could have been great, but we don't know that. I'm trying to explain right now a story that should have explained to us why she was so dear to this team of people who all worked yeah. in the same theater. And the other thing about the other members of the staff is they were very charactery yes, and interesting. Very charactery. And I would have liked to see them more because they had their looks and their interests and their interactions with her and with each other were interesting and they were just these side characters i have to think that something went wrong somewhere the reason i took so much time on the stage combat was that poorly executed element and this is a movie that is not done by yeah new filmmakers no this is some of the most heavy hitting veterans yeah. yes and that's why it was so jarring how did this occur it's like if you see a boom mic jump into yeah. the shot or a camera lens. Yeah, it's amateurish. Yeah, basic, basic stuff. Yeah, should not happen. I guess there were some reviews that were semi-positive, mostly about the cinematography. Yeah, so performed horribly. You told yeah, yeah. me that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it didn't even make a million dollars. Yeah, as far as box office. The reviews were along the lines of what we're talking about. Not the specifics, obviously, but the, it was underwhelming. And I also, just from a storytelling standpoint... If you're looking at a piece of art and you don't know who painted it, don't know their reputation, simply looking at this as a piece of art, not casting any judgment on the filmmakers, I don't understand the purpose of the story. The most interesting thing to me as a writer would have been this flexion point in England where there is this spike in racism that they allude to in like one line. I wasn't living there. I don't know yeah. why this happened. Clearly, it's historical. They didn't make it up for the plot. Right. But course. I'd have to Google it to know anything. Yeah. That's the only part I'd be interested in building right. out of from story standpoint. And it's similar to the last review that we did on Babylon. I read afterward that there was uh, that this was covering a period in film history prior to a, a new ethics code being adopted. That right. They mentioned that it. once. And so I read that, and I was like, what? Where was this in the movie? Like, yeah. that would have been really interesting. But filmmakers, a lot of, a lot of the times, I think they, they get so wrapped up in either the individual story or the cinematography or the, you know, whatever the components that they're focusing on. For us as viewers, we don't get to learn something right. new from it. So it, it ends up being a missed opportunity. Right, especially when it's a historical moment in a place that I'm not familiar with that kind of you know, makes you slightly interested. Yeah. It also was the premiere of Chariots of Fire. Yeah. Which could have been very interesting. Like the fact that it was about a movie premiere of a movie that was significant. That was another interesting thing that we've seen as a trend now in a few movies. Movies about movies? Where it's, well, not just movies about movies, but movies that reference other movies within them. Like within, yeah. that are a fundamental well, to their reference. story. Well, not just reference. could be like, oh, no, did no, you no, see no. Swingers? No, that are fundamental right. to their storylines, yes. which is... Kind of new. Remember the movie The Majestic? Yeah. That was just Vaseline on the lens, pure nostalgia, mm -hmm. very sappy. That was kind of during that time, that era was like Pleasantville. And the well, Majestic, the reason I mentioned The Majestic that, is it's yeah. another one where it's a love affair with a theater. Yes. And that is what you think you're getting into here. I thought going into it, just knowing that it could be interesting. And there's a couple of scenes where they go to an abandoned part of the theater and you're thinking wow, there's different theater rooms that have never been opened. Yeah. And there's a sky deck on the top where these uh, two characters meet and become friends. And there's a whole wounded pigeon thing I'm not yeah. going to go into. <laughs> However, that interesting element of the second floor of this beautiful old theater with all that you could tell that in the 
heyday was glorious. You yeah, know? You, you, that wasn't even investigated. Yeah. It never went yeah, anywhere. It's one of those weird things that you're like, oh, okay, so this is where the story's going to go. Yeah. They're going to you know, rehabilitate this theater or they're going to whatever. No, it just, they forget about it for a while, the, the characters who go up there together. And then later on they decide, okay, well, let's go over there again. Let's go check on the pigeon. Yeah. And then- That's not a metaphor. And then they, they sit in this old booth and they right. talk to each other. Yeah. There are all these windows around. So it's very pretty. It actually reminded me because there are these, these dual- color tinted windows kind of wrap the whole side of the building and it actually visually reminded me a little bit of Blade Runner because when, when they go when, with when Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford yeah. is in that town that's yeah that makes yeah. A, that's a really good observation when they find Harrison Ford in that theater where Elvis plays yeah I mean yeah it was like 2049 that, was amazing it was that uh like Las Vegas thing with style all the yeah, yeah place last time you told us whether or not it was your favorite movie <laughs> that was your criteria. You said, this wasn't my favorite movie. And I thought that was a great way. So I'm, I want to know every, every review. I want to see if I can bring up. I, was this your favorite movie? This was a movie. <laughs> was it or was it not? Stop Those it. are your only, it's not thumbs up, thumbs down. It's, it was, was this not your my favorite movie. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. It's not Gina's favorite movie. It's not even my favorite screensaver. It was very tepid. I have to think Giving I credit. Going, I thought you were going to call me on tepid. No, no, That's no. Why tepid. I people there. understand tepid. They're uh, dingbats. <laughs> okay. For my own sake, I have to thank Sam Mendez, Roger Deakins. There must have been some kind of issue because if framed differently, every movie is like six hours now somehow. These guys shoot six hours worth yeah. of film. I don't understand it. How do you have six hours of scenes and then you bring it down to three hours? Clearly not tight. Something must have been structured incorrectly well, to not give us what was meant here because it's too jumbled. I mean, no way the screenplay reads like this. Yeah. Who would make it? We do know <clears> that this was Sam Mendes' first film that he... Can they hear that crow? We'll see. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this was Sam Mendes' first film in which he was the sole screenwriter. Right. So that could contribute to it. Some directors are great directors and not necessarily great, and great some, writers. Some directors story, are, yeah. are good directors and good at certain elements of screenplays, like Tenet being the first film that Christopher Nolan had done without Josh Nolan. Or Justin Nolan or uh, Jason Nolan? Uh, Jonathan Nolan. Jonathan Nolan. He lets me call him whatever <laughs> I want. So it was the first one he hadn't done with him. And traditionally, Jonathan had been the story guy yes. for all his other films. And I only mention that because when a successful writing team separates... If you're a person who follows that filmmaker, you can usually tell there's a difference in the story. Most co-writers have areas of expertise. So someone's really strong at coming up with original stories and action. And then the other one's really good at dialogue, right? It could have been said that that was the case in, in this movie, but we don't need to make excuses for it. No. It was not wonderful. Not your favorite. No. And I am not trying to judge it out of fear of being crushed by these giant directors who could just squash me like a bug as I'm coming up in the film industry. And this is my, I, you know, I didn't have night sweats, but I could have, um, which would be a great movie. You know, it was, it seemed to me. I was me... talking about night sweats. I didn't have night sweats was not the end of a statement. I know. I was just thinking my own thoughts. <laughs> I know you were. That's, 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 that's the, I watch her just thinking her own thoughts and not listening to me. My point was, I'm an up-and-coming filmmaker. Does it make sense for me to criticize other films? No. When I review something on MVB, I'm terrified. I'm like, what if they find out? And they're like, Jet, you got the job. 
Warner Brothers gives me this huge contract, and then they find out that I poorly reviewed one of their films from 10 years before, and I'm fired. That's what I'm terrified of. But please, cut me off and but tell me whatever I... your brain was thinking. You know, I don't think it's it's uh, it's worth obsessing over. You have plenty to obsess over, but I, yeah. don't, I don't think... 10 years from now. Right. This, well, I'm only 22, this, so it's fine. This hypothetical you have going, I don't know if uh, it's worth I'll you. Tear down all the podcasts. Thinking about this right now. Let's just have fun and go with it. I'm going to get punched in the it. face by Sam Mendes, <laughs> who is an incredible director. Yes, we like a lot of his other stuff. Yeah. It's just that this was not... This was very much a low-key... Not I, the movie, I, I don't low-key. No. Well, that was a show. The movie... No, they had a movie, didn't no, they? No, no. Just a show. Loki was a, yeah, Disney Plus Guys, series. Guys, you're getting a bonus here. You're getting good. a bonus. Ready? It's a bonus. Yeah. Bonus. That's what it, That's what we say whenever it's a bonus. Loki was great. You want to talk show. about Incredible. the hero's journey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was good really one. good. So this, I don't know what the budget on Empire of Light was, but it felt like a low-budget, romantic Oscar bait movie. 100%. 100% seeking award recognition yes. in a time where filmmaking was not easy for as little money as possible. I think it was like a million, a million and a half, something like that, dollars to make. So I didn't see the uh, the actual budget, but I think it was somewhere in there. less, Definitely less than 10. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. I think I saw that. So take yeah. that to the bank. I, I, I know it made less than right. a million dollars back. Yes. So my hope was that it cost a million dollars <laughs> based on yeah. So I don't don't, don't if you Sam right. Sam first. I'm sorry. Okay, Roger, good friends. I call him Raj. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raj Deek Deek. I'm sorry. I don't know how much the film costs. Genuinely, I don't know why I keep looking at the recording device as Did if not, that's a camera. Did it not have budget? It doesn't listed? say. Oh. Doesn't say. Okay. But obviously under ten million dollars. Although it had a lot of heavy hitters in it. It did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Colin Firth. My uh, God, the cast. The Colin Firth and the lady. What's her Olivia name? Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman. They're both Oscar winners. Yeah. So you have Oscar winning mm-hmm. cinematographer, Oscar winning director, and two Oscar winning yeah. actors. And it had this this very wistful um, kind of look to it. The aesthetic had a lot of the tungsten tones yeah. and this there was kind one of like scene. this very like um saturated turquoise so it had this this yeah. vintage kind of style to it sure. and the theater was beautiful theater was beautiful but it was if you have a chance to go to the theater go to the theater yeah, yeah it was under underutilized and yeah. i i really wanted it to be more about the the love of theater they had a, a bit where uh the projectionist yes, was talking. Favorite scene. Was, just about yeah, to was, mention was it. talking to. Uh, I to, almost got choked up. To Michael Ward's character and showing, telling, like cueing him on where, where to switch the reels. But the, he explains what happens to the human eye at 24 frames with still images being turned into motion. Yes. With black slugs in between, mm-hmm. which just means uh, empty space in between, and how that makes the human eye believe that yeah, these still images are falsely mo- your, moving. Your brain that was fills beautiful. in the gaps. That was yeah. such a beautiful little scene, yeah. just surrounded by something that gave no reverence, gave no love for movies, which and would have at least been the, a cheap feeling. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. You have moviegoers are going to love movies. Of course, yeah. Hell, that's the last movie yeah. we watched. And we actually wanted more of that. Of course, yeah. Uh, Olivia Coleman's character... She works at this. She's she's a a like shift manager at this like theater. That. She's worked there a long time. They all like her, despite her 
mental problems. Yeah, they, they keep seem very her, empathetic, yes, like and good they keep, people. They're and they all keep, good people. They keep having her back, you know, after she gets out of the hospital. One of the things that's kind of mentioned a few times is that she never watches the movies. Yeah. Like she never goes into theater. But by and the time them. they have her watch a movie for the first time, you were so dialed out. I don't even think you saw it. Yeah. And I was halfway watching, and then the movie ends. Yeah. So what would you call it? Inconsequentially. Sure. It's a fizzle to yeah. something that I, mean, I kind of wanted her to get it shot just, or something. It just kind of peters just out. To surprise and, me. and there was yeah, there was no like, there was no epiphany. There was no. no no moment of catharsis yeah. or emotional conclusion to anything. I should have said no spoilers when I said I was hoping she would get shot. I didn't mean the actor, of course. I don't even need the character to get shot. I just wanted, I thought maybe with a big ending, something that's jarring, it could make up for some of it. However, that is a spoiler. So if you thought the, spoiler the main character is that she would didn't get, get shot, she didn't okay. get shot at yeah. the end. So Sorry. If that's a pool you're running from <laughs> your very strange work, then I'm sorry to tell you it doesn't work out that way. Yes. So I think that's about enough time on this film. I, I think what so. What is this? Unedited. Last time I said like 42 minutes and after I edited it was nothing like that. 45 minutes pre-edit. We sure know how to talk. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny? We'll stop talking on this. You and I, good friends, go way back. We'll talk on the way out of the office about this movie so much better than we did just I know. Now. I'm Jet. I'll talk to you next time. And you are? I'm Gina. Yeah, I don't know why I do that. We'll figure it That's out. That's okay. A, One of these days. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you, and good night.